We are in Acts 16 this week. No, Acts 17. We were in Acts 16 last week. And this is a chapter that there's one spot that it said this is this this is the chapter that the most scholarship has been done. The most study has been done from the whole book of Acts, which I think is kind of funny. I don't know why it's the one that gets all the attention. But it is exciting, and it is pretty cool. So, remember Paul and Silas, they've picked up Timothy, and... They picked up, everywhere they go, they pick up a couple more people. There is some question, you know, they met, they met Lydia. And there's some question of whether Lydia traveled with them or not. Because she comes up in some of the letters and she's not in Lystra or Derby anymore. She's moved on to other, so it's like maybe she did travel with them some places. So, Acts 17.1 I wish I had like an Indiana Jones map to show you the red line flying around. When they had passed through Amphipolos and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Okay, those cities are all really far away from each other on this big, huge highway. This is like, it's kind of like Route 66. It's it's a road that still exists. Archaeologists are still unearthing sections of this road that connected all these cities and when he goes to Thessalonica it's like I mean think about where Paul's been he's been we've been to Ephesus yet I don't think we've been to Ephesus yet he's been to Corinth he's been see Ephesus Corinth and Thessalonica were the New York, Los Angeles, and Paris of Paul's day. So he is not going on this preaching tour through western Kentucky, stopping at, you know, Possum Trot and Monkey's Eyebrow and setting up a tent and preaching to 20 people. He is going to Los Angeles and New York, and he is booking, you know, Grand Central Station. I mean, he's in like these big going to these big metropolises of commerce and trade and people. And Thessalonica is one of those. And he finds a synagogue like he does. Paul went in, as was his custom. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, just like he did, but now he's done it for three Sabbath days. So that's, he's been there for three weeks. Three weeks of preaching, probably doing some talking during the week, too. It's wild what he... Luke talks about all the different things he preaches everywhere, but listen to what he preached in Thessalonica. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So up until this point... Paul has been, it says that Paul has been telling them that Jesus is the Messiah. From here on, it's going to change for a while. And it's going to turn to Jesus is the Messiah. And it was necessary for him to suffer and to die on the cross and to rise again from the dead. That's part of what the Messiah's 
calling is, the duties of the Messiah. This is Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So they have men and women coming. They have Greeks coming. They have Jewish people and they're they're growing and believing this, believing in Jesus. But the Jews were jealous And they took some of the wicked men of the rabble, it says. They formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar. So they went out on the street and they gathered up some people. Hey, what are you doing? You got an afternoon? Come protest with us. We're going to go yell and shout. Come on. Join us. Hey, you guys. Oh, you wouldn't be sitting there if it wasn't for Paul and Silas and Timothy. I bet they're the ones. It's their fault that you're down here. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) I mean, it's so funny. People do this. This happens right now, right? I mean, we need a bunch of people to go do something. Let's go get all the people that aren't doing nothing and have them all go be upset. They form a mob. They set the city in an uproar and they attack the house of Jason, seeking to bring, out, bring them out to the crowd. But they couldn't find them. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and all the people with them, they know they're at Jason's house. They bang on, you know, the angry mob outside. They can't find the guys in there, so they drag out Jason. We're going to take you then. You're, we know you're connected with them. They take him before the city authorities. And they say, this is awesome. These men who have turned the whole world upside down have now come to Thessalonica. So if you're Paul, you're like, man, I have been beat up. I have been stoned. I have been beaten with rods. I got locked in the stocks in the deepest dungeon. It is rough. Lord, is this worth it? Like, is anybody hearing us? Are we making any progress at all? And then this angry mob. Oh, my gosh. Now it's an angry mob. I've never done it. Angry. This is an angry Angry Jewish mob, we've dealt with these before. I got stoned by one in Lister and Derby. This is how this works. And they say, these men have turned the whole world upside down. Can you just hear Paul and Silas and Timothy looking at each other and being like, oh yeah. They know about us. They have heard. The gospel has gone ahead of us. The good news has traveled. Even though they didn't think it was good news. These men have turned the world upside down. Now they're in Thessalonica. Jason has received them and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king named Jesus. <gasps> all right. So, these, this rabble, these people, they knew going before the city officials and complaining about religion was not going to work. Right? If they go say... They worship these other gods and, and they, they aren't saying what Moses said. Because that happens later on in the book of Acts where the civic leader is like, you guys, it's religion, 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 blah, blah, blah. I'm not dealing with you. So they attack them politically. They're appealing. They're saying somebody's better than Caesar. And that gets them all upset. Gosh, do we have a lesson to learn here today, right? Is it hard? If you mix politics and religion, guess what you get? 
politics. <laughs> it's terrible. And it's divisive. And remember in Galatians, the big list of all the things that are works of the flesh. And one of them is factions and divisiveness. Gosh. But it works. And it works today. Oh, it makes all the government people mad. The city authorities are disturbed. And they took money as security from Jason and the rest. And they let him go. So basically the way this works. Thessalonica was an independent city. They, didn't, they had oversight from Rome, but otherwise they were, they were able to act on their own. And the city magistrates could make laws for the city. And basically they banned Paul and Silas and Timothy from the city. They took money from Jason. And it's kind of a fine in advance. Where, okay, we're the magistrates and we're going to take this money from you. And if those guys ever come back into the city, we're going to keep this money and we're going to arrest them. But when we die, they'll be exempt from this and you'll get your money back. It was like a deposit when you rent a car. So Jason has to put out money for the magistrates to hold as a guarantee that these guys will never enter the city again. Well, guess what? I mean, you guys know the books of the Bible, right? This is Thessalonica, home of the Thessalonians, to which the first letter and the second letter, Thessalonians, were written. So some one of these guys had to come back to deliver that letter. We don't know who. Some people think it was Timothy. Timothy might have been left out of the law and left out of the rules, so he was still able to travel back to Thessalonica, which just makes me glad. It's just like all this stuff that they, all the trouble they went to, all the stuff the government and the political powers were trying to do, it still doesn't work. You still get First and Second Thessalonians, which are awesome books of the Bible that we'll cover someday. They talk about the end of the world. There's all kinds of good stuff in there. But they get out of town. They're like, okay, Jason, we don't want you to get in any more trouble. The church is planted here. You guys are thriving. There's plenty of believers. Grow in your faith. And they leave. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas. So, presumably Timothy stuck around. To Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Okay, Berea is not New York or Los Angeles or Paris. Berea is... Kind of like Monkey's Eyebrow, Kentucky. I mean, it's, it's side, side road off of everything. The Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Paul comes to them and says the Messiah had to suffer and had to rise from the dead and he's Jesus. And they're like, show me that in the scriptures. And Paul's like, okay, I will. And so they studied the scriptures every day. This was not a every Saturday on the Sabbath thing. They really wanted to know the truth. They were really seeking the truth. And they wanted chapter and verse to prove it and to show it. I love the way he says this in, in verse 12. Many of them therefore believed. They studied the scriptures to see if it was true that Jesus was the Messiah And because they studied the scriptures to see that it was true, they came to believe it. 
These were people that were studied in the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. And they could see that Jesus fulfilled what the Old Testament was talking about. What the Old Testament was promising. That is a really, really big deal. It's, it's funny because here you, in, all in one chapter, you have people that are old school, that are traditional, and they, they know the Old Testament. And they didn't call it the Old Testament, of course, it was the Scriptures. And by studying it, they believe. And then a little bit later, we're going to have people that had no knowledge of the Scriptures at all. Zilch. And by reasoning with them and with logic and deduction... They came to believe. All right, that's a little that's a little teaser. But oh dear, a few Greek women of high standing as well as men, all kinds of people. When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too and they stirred up the crowd. So they get the rabble. Hey guys, let's go protest in Monkey's Eyebrow, Kentucky. And they all go charge this little tiny town. The brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way. They're like, oh, we're not dealing with these people. Everybody is, we don't have to argue. They know from the scriptures that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the Messiah. We're not even going to have a fight here. And Paul can leave. Isn't that awesome? It's like Paul can trust those new believers to continue in their faith. It's also kind of cool. We don't have a letter to the Bereans. They may have read the letters to the Thessalonians because they were nearby. They might not have needed a letter. They might have gotten it because they were studying the Old Testament so well. So Paul runs. He goes off to the sea. Silas and Timothy stay there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after they received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. All right. So they go to Athens. And Athens, even though we know it, like, name a city in Greece. Uh, Athens? (laughs) We know about Athens. Athens was historically big at this time. So, in Paul's day, it had a history of being big, but it wasn't as big as it used to be. Does that make sense? So it's on the decline. When Paul gets there, Athens is a shrinking city. But it is still the number one college town in the Greek world. And that's where all the philosophers were. And that's where all the people you really wanted to get some learning. Um, There was a guy there, a guy from there about 500 years earlier named Socrates. And he did all of his learning and teaching there in Athens on this, uh, this hill called Mars Hill. And, and he would, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So Athens, Paul is in Athens and he starts walking around. It's going to take Paul and Silas, or, uh, Silas and Timothy about two weeks. At the minimum, if they, if they took the fastest transport they could, it would take him six days to get there. But remember it said... He called for them. So somebody's going to have to go back six days, tell Silas and Timothy, go meet Paul in Athens. It's going to take them another six days. So at the smallest, he's got like two weeks. But they probably didn't travel by the fastest thing. 
So it's probably four or five weeks that Paul is in Athens all by himself. He's waiting for them in Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So there's a... Provoked is such a watered-down, milk-toast word. He was beside himself. He was distraught. He was upset as he walked around Athens. There's an ancient writer that wrote about Athens of this day. And he said, there were so many idols in Athens. There were so many idols in Athens. How many were there? Yes, how many were there? There were so many idols in Athens that it was more likely that you would run into and talk to an idol than a person. That it was easier to meet and talk to a statue than it was to meet and talk to a person because there were so many idols in Athens. It was just filled. So think through that for a minute. And then I want you to think, these idols aren't like uh, just some gold statue. They're offensive. They are, they are gross. They are disturbing statues. And they're all over Athens. And they're everywhere. And Athens is kind of like the mall, where you go to the mall and you know you're going to see a store at the mall, right? You go to Athens, you know you're going to see an idol, and you're going to, you know you're going to see a temple. And every temple that's in Athens has been approved, just like you wouldn't go to the store, go to the mall, and see a store and be like, how in the world did this store get here? The manager of the mall had to say... It's okay for this store to be here. And it's the, if there's a bad store at the mall, it's the manager's fault. Right? Because they run the mall. Well, there's this group in Athens called the Areopagus. And the Areopagus is this council of like 30 men. And they decide which religions... And which gods and goddesses can be worshipped in Athens. And so you can't have it. There's, there's a gazillion idols in Athens, but you can't bring yours unless you get it approved by the Areopagus. All the Areopagus does all day is sit around and talk about gods and goddesses and idols and religions. And they're kind of like that bad guy in Spartacus. He says, do you believe in the gods? And he says, publicly I believe in all of them. Privately I believe in none of them. For them, idols and gods and religion was business. And so if they could have an idol for everybody and everybody for an idol and all kinds of ways to worship those idols, they would bring tourism into town and commerce and they would make big money. And they would learn a lot because they were all about learning and education and, and knowing things, not really believing them, but just being very educated about the knowledge of these different religions. So Paul's not dealing with any of that. He just goes to the synagogue like he does. He reasons with the Jews. He talks to them. Then he also goes out to the marketplace and he's talking to people during the week in the marketplace Because there aren't very many Jewish people. So to talk about Jesus as the promised Messiah of the Old Testament Scriptures doesn't mean anything to them. 
They don't care about your Old Testament scriptures. They're busy worshiping Zeus and Apollo and Dionysus and all this business. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also talked to Paul. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Alright, now this is really funny. Oh, so they took him to the Areopagus. They said, we want to know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You bring some strange things to our ears. We want to know what all this means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time doing nothing except telling or hearing something new. So they hear Paul, and he's talking about all this stuff. Jesus rose from the dead. What? Jesus and the resurrection. What? And they're hearing little bits of it. There are some historians, Jesus is talking about, or uh, Paul is talking about Jesus and Anastasis. Which we get the name Anastasia from. And Anastasia means resurrection. And so since they have all these gods and goddesses that they're worshiping and all these crazy religions, they're thinking that Jesus and Anastasia are a new god and a new goddess. What are you talking about? None of these folks believed in resurrection. There was a saying written in Athens that once the blood goes out of a man into the soil, it can never return. It'll never return to him. Like their city was founded on there being no resurrection. So the whole idea of coming back from the dead is new to them. They, they don't even get that it could be a thing and not a person. The Epicureans and the Stoics, these guys are hilarious and they're all messed up. So the Epicureans thought, oh, we are so spiritual and our body just doesn't mean anything. So I'm not going to take care of my body and I'm just going to please myself as much as I can. And I'm going to just please myself however I can and whenever I can and as often as I can because my spirit is just stuck here in this poor, yucky body. And so I just need to make my spirit as happy as I can be. And I'm going to eat all the Cool Ranch Doritos I can. And um, they, they would eat. And they had sections of buildings where you would gag yourself and go throw up. So that you'd be hungry again. So that you could go back and eat more. Because it was just so good. And I just want to keep eating. Oh, I want to eat more and more and more. Those were the Epicureans. Just extreme. The Stoics were the exact same, but totally opposite. They were like, oh, we just have this spirit trapped in this little body. And we just want to just punish this body because it's keeping this spirit at, held back. And so I'm not going to eat and I'm going to wear scratchy clothes. And I'm going to beat myself with sticks because my body is so terrible. What is all of that? I mean, besides garbage. <laughs> it's all just living for yourself, right? It's living for yourself, whether it's pleasure. It's living for yourself because you're getting pleasure from suffering. It's all self-centered. It's all the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we're not supposed to eat from. Right? It's all bad. And so they're the philosophers that are sitting on this council of 30 men at the Areopagus that are allowing new religions to come in and 
and new idols to be made. Gosh! And so Paul gets invited to go talk to this crew. (laughs) You thought it was bad going to talk to the Rotary. These guys, wow. So Paul goes. Incidentally, about 500 years earlier, Socrates was called before the Areopagus and they said, who is this guy with these new religions and this new God? Let's listen to him. And they killed Socrates for what he said. Pretty wild. Here's Paul 500 years later. Who is this guy? What is this new religion he brings? Get him up here. Paul gets up. Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. As I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar that said to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. It's really cool. Paul, remember how upset he was? He was distraught. It's like, I went into the mall one time, and I saw a store, and I saw posters at the store, and I was distraught that that was allowed to be hung up at the mall. And contacting the corporate office of that shop wasn't going to do me any good, because they have stores all over the country. But you know what is going to do some good? Is the manager that approved the coming of that store into this mall, right? Thankfully, other things happened. I got distracted. Stuff happened. I did not cause a scene. (laughs) And now we know what's happening to malls, right? Paul, furious. These stupid idols are everywhere. They're disgusting. He gets invited. He goes in. You think he's just going to throw their table over and kick the lead dude in the face and be like, those idols are disgusting. That would not get him very far, right? I love what he does. Wow, you guys, I'm really glad to be here today. I can tell you guys love religion. You are like pro PhD masters of religion. And they're all like, yes, we are, as a matter of fact. They are just so proud of being into religion and talking about this stuff. And then he takes something right there in their culture, this altar to an unknown God, and he says, look, listen, if a God is a God, I mean, just think about this for a second, a deity, a creator, a being, Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Okay, right now, if any of these guys are really, really believing in any kind of religion... They have to agree with that. Gosh, you know, if God, even if it was Zeus, made all the stars and everything, it's really kind of dumb that we would think that we could make a little box to fit him in and go do whatever 
that's kind of dumb. He doesn't need anything. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods, the boundaries of their dwelling place. God decided where everybody would be and when. Whoa. How are they going to disagree with that? All right. Yeah. Wow. This really cool thing. He did it so they would seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not very far from each one of us. Because in him we live and we move and we have our being. Even some of your own poets have said we are indeed his offspring. Paul is quoting their own philosophers. He's like walking right into their living room and sitting down on the couch and putting his feet on the coffee table. He is so welcomed into their lives. Since we're God's offspring... We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image, any of these images that we've made. And everybody be like, yeah, you're right. God is bigger than all of that. And then Paul starts to pull the hook a little bit. And he says, the times of ignorance, of being a stupid idiot and thinking that you could make a God out of gold... God has overlooked, but now he is calling you to repent. So if you believed all of this stuff that I've said so far, wow, God is vast. God is huge. God's overlooked your stupidity in making golden and wooden and stone idols. And he is telling you right now to believe in him as he is. He has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. So now you get a little bit of fear because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm on the Areopagus. I'm a professional idol builder. And this guy's got a point that God isn't made of idols and that's just a silly thing. He's going to judge the world by righteousness by a man who he has appointed. And he showed who this man was by raising him from the dead. He's Jesus. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them mocked. Some of them busted out laughing. They made fun of Paul. They they yelled at him, all that. But others said, we want to hear more about this. So you had some who just rejected it outright. Oh my gosh, resurrection. Good grief. Once blood goes into the dirt, it never returns. We're Athens. Get out of here. There's other people that are like, oh man, this is the best story I've ever heard. You should come back next week. I want to hear more. They're not believing it. It's just a tale. They just love to talk about religion and they just got more to talk about. We'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among them were Dionysus the Areopagite. Yes! So Dionysus was one of the people that sat on the Areopagus. He was an Epicurean or he was a Stoic. And when he heard about this, that idols are garbage, 
and that Jesus can save you, he believed it. He believed it. He was probably not welcome back to the Areopagus if he believed it, but he believed it. You guys, we are living in this time right now. This is our daily life. We are surrounded by people that would love to talk about religion, but not live it. All around us are people that think religious ideas are super interesting. But like I said earlier, if it clashes with their politics, they're going to pick the politics. There's all kinds of people that, that will love to talk about religion, but if it means that they can't you know, live with their girlfriend, uh, I mean, then they're not going to really be into that religion because they want to do what they want. And Jesus calls us out of that to be rescued from that, to live for him. And Paul, bold, you want to talk about bold, going up to the Areopagus and telling all of them, God has fixed a day where he's going to judge all y'all for this big mess of idols that you look out your front porch and you see, and it's going to be on Jesus. It's all your whole, whatever you built out here, no matter how great it is, no matter what kind of floor it has, doesn't matter. You're going to be judged by Jesus and he doesn't like your floors. He doesn't like your buildings. He doesn't like your idols. So here we are. Let's pray. Let's seek God. Let's ask him, Lord, if I had two weeks in Athens, if I had two weeks in downtown Las Vegas and it was disgusting and I was grossed out, if I had two weeks in San Francisco and I was enraged at how evil this place is and the head religious leaders of the area called me in to talk to them, Would I burst in and kick him in the teeth and punch him in the nose and get dragged out by security just to prove a point? Or is there a way I can talk to them and be like, man, you guys, like that church I saw out on the highway, you have preserved that so well. That thing is beautiful. You've poured a ton of money into that. God doesn't want your money. (laughs) Right? Whatever that is. And it looks different ways. We won't be in front of people. The other thing that's super encouraging to me is this last sentence. Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Okay, this is crazy, you guys. Damaris is a woman. Women didn't go into the marketplace because it was a rough place and there's all kinds of business and you wouldn't want to be caught there. It was just not safe. But if she's in the Areopagus, women weren't allowed in the Areopagus unless they were women there serving as servants of the Epicureans, bringing them all of the nacho cheese Doritos they wanted and letting them delight in that all day long. That was probably Damaris's job. Those were the only women that were allowed in the Areopagus. The weird thing about the Areopagus is They had all these women that were only allowed there for the Epicureans. They would hear all of the people discussing and they would get really educated. That was the only way a woman in Athens could get an education was if she served as a waitress for the Areopagites. And then sometimes the Areopagites would have the women argue. Susie, Joanna, 
go fight about what you think the nature of being is. And then they would debate and, and discuss. Because that's all the Athenians wanted, all the Arabites wanted to do all day long. And so in the midst of that just sinful, messed up world, there's Damaris, and she hears what Paul has to say, and she believes. And she gets rescued out of that environment. Remember how I said Paul and Silas and Timothy are slowly building all their people as they go, and their entourage grows, and you can see them as they mention them in all their letters. Dionysus, the super smart Areopagite, and Damaris, the lady that worked for the Areopagites, both got saved out of that. This is the only city that Paul didn't get run out by violence. It's the city where the fewest people came to believe in Jesus of all the cities that Paul is going to go to. And um, shortly after this, Timothy and Silas show up and they move on and they go on and we will pick back up in Acts in like eight weeks after Easter. Unless we decide to do something else between Easter and Pentecost. We'll see. But um, I want to encourage you guys, if you have a chance, if you have some time, go back and read through Acts like it's a novel. Read through Acts like it's an adventure. And keep an eye, you know how when you watch a movie, they show different characters and they pop up and you're like, wait a minute, that guy's going to show back up later, you know, whatever. Read Acts like that because it, it does play out like that. Lydia is going to come up later. Um, like I said, Barnabas isn't, but Mark will. And it's just, it's really cool how God built, how God is building the church even in really slimy, awful, apathetic cities like Athens. Where you can't throw a rock and not hit an idol. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the salvation you bring and that you bring it to all kinds of different people. Thank you, Lord, that you can save intellectual elites from universities and colleges and political powers, that you can save the, the lowliest servant girl waitress that works for them. You can save everybody in between, and you do it all the time. I pray that you would do it today, Lord, that you would rescue and save. I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit through us to make us pay attention and help us to see people that just need to hear that Jesus offers them freedom, that Jesus offers them salvation. Strengthen us and empower us to do it, Lord. We praise you. Amen. All right. Said he's about ready to play. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. Did you hear what Paul said? They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and thrown us into prison. Guess what the punishment for unjustly jailing and beating a Roman citizen is? Death. And so these magistrates are as dead as that jailer would have been. When the magistrates heard it, they are afraid and they come and they apologize to them. Can you imagine what a moment that was where they're, they're undoing their shackles 
which they haven't been in all night because they've been eating over at Jailer Bob's house. And the Holy Spirit's been coming down saving his whole household. They take him out and they're like, we are so sorry. You do not have to tell anybody this. You don't have to tell the Roman governor that we did this. Because if he finds out, we're all dead. All new magistrates. They came and apologized to them. They took them out and they asked them to leave the city. Can you guys just go? Can you guys just get out of town? What do you think it was like for Paul and Timothy and Silas to walk out of that jail at that moment? What feeling was that? Do you know how untouchable they are? Like, where is the power now? If those dudes that own that slave girl, they're like, hey, you need to arrest them. The magistrate's going to be like, we are not going anywhere near those guys. If they say to the jailer, why did you let them out of jail? The jailer's going to be like, dude, you do not even know what you are dealing with. Just go eat some papayas. Go get, go away. So they go visit Lydia. Lydia, what was that scene like? Because the last time Lydia saw them, they were getting stripped naked, beaten with rods. Lydia probably ran. All the people, all the believers ran. They thought all hope is lost. This is terrible. And now Paul and Silas and Timothy have all new clothes. They got showers. They probably didn't wash, take showers every day, but now they've been washed. They've probably got busted lips. They might have missing teeth. They might have black eyes because they got beat up. So don't forget that part. But they are walking boldly. They visit Lydia. They saw all the brothers. They encouraged all of them. And then they departed. There's one one big thing to take away from Acts 16. And I I want the Holy Spirit to work in you and take things away. The The takeaway for me was we don't have to fear discomfort in anything. And we don't have to fear any kind of evil in anything. We don't have to retaliate. We don't have to fear discomfort. Timothy got circumcised in his 30s so that... It would not cause somebody else to have trouble with the gospel. And then from a prison, in stocks, beaten and naked, these guys were singing hymns. And they weren't shouting, you stupid jailer! Oh, that magistrate! They weren't cutting on the mat. I mean, it would have been a lot of fun to stay up late and make magistrate jokes. And that might have made them feel really good. But they would have died in the morning. Or no, they would have been set free and nobody would have known about it, right? Instead, they're singing hymns to God. They're worshiping God. And, uh, and the church grew. And then the church that's left behind in Thyatira, do you think they were afraid of getting found out? Do you think they were afraid to worship Jesus? No way. Because the dude that taught them everything they knew just got walked out of prison in the middle of the night and fed by the jailer who's going to be a rich guy anyway. Got all new clothes, the whole bit. So, lots of encouragement in here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the way you advanced the gospel. That you didn't just do it by some magical thing that everybody just believed inside, but you put your Holy Spirit in each one of us, in people that make mistakes and disagree and have arguments, in people that don't always do it all right. You put your Holy Spirit into them and into us and advance your gospel. 
And we praise you and we exalt you for that, Lord. I pray that you would do that this week. That you would help us to not let the gospel stop because of our discomfort or our fear. But that you would advance your kingdom and build your church and save many, many people. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.